You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. I praise the Lord for making it possible for me to be before you and sharing that journey of faith that began many, many years ago. Red Door is unique. This is my observation. I may get it wrong. But I think it's unique in many different ways. It's a church that started when I was here in Melbourne. So its history is fairly short. And there are people here who have been there since the start. I also want to pay my respect to you guys. Long live on you. Because you have been through thin and thick. And you have been faithful up to today. May God bless you. And by the look of it, Red Road draws people from all walks of life. People from different religions, people without religion, from different traditions, from different cultures. The love of Jesus unites you, unites us. It's beautiful in the Lord's eyes. And it's, to me, it's a sign of healthy spirituality. Because I have gone to churches where people worship as monoethnic, and I think there is something unhealthy about it. I also like the practice here that we don't cherry pick on scriptures, but simply let it speak to us as God intended it to be. No cherry picking here. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. I also like the idea that we should not let anything obscure Jesus of the gospel. And when I say Jesus of the gospel, there is a lot of Jesuses that are not of the gospel being preached around. So that we don't let any tradition, any culture, any religion or hobbies or even our own flesh to get between people and Jesus. And I love the idea that when people first walk in here, they have to ask, who is actually the minister here? They may not know. That is to let Jesus to be seen. And we become diminished. I believe that the work done here is born out of faith and a prayer. For nothing happens without prayer. And I believe a solid foundation has been laid. It hasn't been easy. But God has accomplished it through you. Now the Spirit is pointing to me, I think, after this solid foundation, the building now needs to start. I'm sorry if that sounds discouraging. But in spiritual things, 15 years is really not much. But you have laid a solid foundation. But how that will happen, God, I don't know. The Lord knows. 
he will provide for it. And he who has started this good work among you will bring it to completion. I am humbled to be here and to be welcomed to be part of you. And to be part of that process. Without taking much time, we are looking at Mark eleven twelve, continuing our series on Mark. And the Spirit has led me to focus on the theme of authority, something that touches each one of us. If you look around, particularly the Royal Commission into banking, we have been living knowing that there is nothing wrong. Only after the Royal Commission that, oh, we have been cheated. We are going to an election. How many times have we elected a prime minister and they got thrown out before they finish? It touches us. But more importantly, the Royal Commission into the abuse of minors. Recently, we had the conviction of George Pell. Casting a shadow on the gospel. That's what I'm talking about. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? This is the key question in this text. It is asked to dismiss Jesus' authority, to reject his identity as the Messiah, and to limit his ministry or influence of it. This question came from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders who form what they call the Sahindrin. It is the highest authority a council of 71 in Israel. Pause for a moment. Jesus and the Sahindrin, who is above the other, who has given authority to who, and who should be asking the question? Mark presents us this story. It is what Satan seeks to do. To be equal or above God. In fact, to try to put in the language of the Bible, to put God under the feet. He influences you and me to do the same. And that's what comes to sin that we're struggling with. Donald's commentary on Mark says the confrontation is a deadly seriousness because it threatened Jesus and it threatened his opponents. In the same way, it's life or death. And it was probably in this encounter that Jesus' death, crucifixion, on the, three days later, was sealed off.
Jesus was not only confronting the Sanhedrin before him. He was confronting the Sanhedrin of the misuse and the abuse of power. A problem of historical and a universal magnitude. Universal in the sense that even Satan himself was thrown from heaven because of the issue of the struggle for authority between God and himself. In these chapters, Mark records how Jesus deals with this problem at a human level. He does this in two ways. By acted parables and by question and the answer or our contemporary way, chew and the air, if that can make sense. But before I speak further, there is a pastoral concern here for all of us. We have to acknowledge that power and authority abuse has caused a huge pastoral issue in our society and indeed worldwide. Perhaps you are here today and have suffered and is suffering abuse, brokenness, because you have been abused in the past. Maybe you are having a hard time because of a workplace boss who is very controlling. Or maybe, as we had last week, a controlling partner. Or maybe a parental figure. Or somebody who is bullying you. This is all abuse of authority. Or maybe perhaps have been abused by a priest. Making you feel resentful whenever you hear, or whenever you see the sign church, that's not something for you. Not anymore. That anger may be going on in many people in our society. Today, Jesus says, I identify with you because he suffered that abuse. He's saying to you, I'm here that you may be healed. He's here to say you're free. And maybe you're feeling also that you have abused authority or made somebody suffer or inflicted on somebody. And you're here feeling guilty and regretting even with some level of fear, Jesus wants to say to you, come to me. And this will be sorted out. You need to know that you can, you can and will be forgiven and lead a life free of guilt and fear. He has the authority forgive sins.
Who gave you this authority to do these things? These things in this text refer back to what Jesus, we call, acted parables. The first one is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Followed by the cursing of the fruitless or the barren fig tree. And then going into the temple to stamp out the corruption that was in the temple. And his entry into Jerusalem, the religious capital of Israel, is significant in many ways. For the first time, Jesus allowed people to yell out. You know, he used to tell people, keep silent. But this time, he allowed them to yell out, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of our father, or ancestor David. He allowed them thereby accepting the, that, I, that identity of being a king, the Messiah. But you know what? He did it in a way that was very humbling. Can you imagine the prime minister coming here to red door riding a donkey? Or the Queen Elizabeth? coming here riding a donkey? Never. But this is what Jesus did. Very humbly. He would have probably by that time having ridden a horse because that was a, a, a swift and mightier animal. But he even forsook that. He took a young donkey. And then you know what? For those of us who come from a bit of share the Middle Eastern life there, the donkey is the most mistreated domesticated animal. Despised. You know, overloaded, carrying water and things like that. That's what Jesus chose. And then you know what? He had to borrow it from somebody. No force, no forceful demand. It was humble request. Give. The, master, the Lord needs it, and he will give it back to you. He will return it back to you. He wasn't eager to show his kingship credentials. You know what? That would... That would constitute bullying people into belief. Jesus has the authority to create the universe and to do anything. Even in his coming, he would come here in bright and descend here. You know what would happen? The next day, everyone would be coming to worship. God doesn't want to bully people into belief. He keeps his distance. He keeps his humility. He leaves you the opportunity to work it out.
Unfortunately, when he comes with such humility, we mistake that he's that simple guy. Now, when you compare the approach to our kingly king, 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 earthly kings, what a contrast. People who seek honor. The next thing is, they go with the disciples to Bethany because they had to spend their night there. Perhaps he would be killed even in the night. And then they walk over, probably very early in the morning, they said to go back to Jerusalem in the temple. And then when he was walking ahead, he saw a fig tree. Probably he had not taken breakfast yet. He wanted to eat some. Very healthy, green fig tree just ahead. And when he draws near, look around, there was no fig on it. What does he do? He says, never again shall anyone eat anything from you. The disciples had it. This use of authority to deal with unproductivity, potential that is given to a plant to suck water, suck air, to give fruit for people to eat and doesn't has a serious warning for you and me. Immediately from there, he went straight into the temple. And there, what, you know what he found? This is a house of prayer. If anything on earth, this was the palace that he was going to. This was his place. And when he got there, he found that the section of the temple that was allocated for the Gentiles, because Jews and the Gentiles didn't want to mix, so they had to be separate. The Jewish authorities gave that bid for trading, selling animals. Those who have come from far away, who didn't bring the right animal, would exchange their money and they get the right animal for the festival of the Passover offering. And the place was booming like a supermarket. I guess there were people there who went simply for that. They even didn't worship at all. Jesus was furious in a way that in our politically correct society, we wouldn't want to preach about. Thank goodness here you allow people to talk the Bible the way it's meant to speak. He went, started turning in a veil, like an unruly teenager. Turning tables, turning chairs, throwing, provi provided it doesn't hit somebody. Because nothing is recorded here that he hit somebody or hurt somebody. He simply was saying, this is not it. You see? A measured use of authority. 
to get the message loud and clear. Graciously acted. No, hang on a moment. You know, when it was the fig tree, he cast it. But when it came to people like that, he didn't cast. He told me, this is meant to be a house of prayer. Why have you turned my father's house into something else? And the worst still, why are you segregating? You see, the Jews have to be there and the Gentiles have to be there. Or any unwanted people to be there. Look at our churches today. Because the church is the continuation of the temple from the tabernacle to the temple to the synagogues to the church today. I wonder what Jesus would find when he visited churches in Melbourne. I wonder how he could react. I wonder what level of anger that he could have. Where the abuse of minors is coming from. This is also inconvenient to talk about. Thank God we are here. We can talk about it. It's my prayer that if he comes here to Red Door, who do not feel too many bins of junk to be wheeled away. But as human beings also, I can't guarantee that he will feel at least one bin to take away. The following morning, they came again back to Bethany. Probably they left very late in the dark, but when they were coming back, the disciples made an observation and they said, look, the tree that you cast is dry from top to bottom. And what did Jesus respond? He launches and talks about faith and prayer and the forgiveness. If the fig tree is symbolic of Israel and the state of the temple and the state of the church today, the point of this parable is clear. Serious warning that the Lord of the church is watching the Lord of the church will never let anything go unpunished. Fruitlessness will be judged harshly. This is also too very inconvenient to talk about. So it's not out of context that Jesus responds 
with the observation of the, the withering of the fig tree to teach his disciples about faith, prayer, and forgiveness. When our faith is healthy and proper, it is tested by the fruitfulness that it produces for people, for everyone, for the world to have, for the world to be blessed by what we do here. Even if people may not necessarily be Christians. Jesus says he has the authority, all authority in heaven and the earth is given to him. He gives us as the church that authority and disciples to go forth into the world to make disciples of every nation. So brothers and sisters, if I have any authority, it's a humble authority that the Lord has given it's not my own. It's not for me to show off. It's not for me to fight. It's not for me to rip things, to steal things from people, to grab things from people. It's not for me to bully. but it's for me to use it for God's glory. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So the other section is the Q and the A. You see, the question is, who gave you this authority? That was the first question that Jesus was asked. Who gave you this authority? The king of the universe is being asked, who gave you this authority? His opponent's question, this particular question, was hypocritical. They didn't really mean to get an answer. Didn't matter what Jesus said, they would still not get it. They, they were not there to get it. So Jesus knows that. that oh, this is hypocritical. They are, not really, they are not really asking to understand. They are simply asking to, to tell him you're nothing. So when he sensed it, he said, I, I will ask you a question. Tell me, where did John's authority to baptize come from? It was like the public knew that John had some authority from above. But they, as the official authority in the land, did not. So they didn't have the same mind. That's a bit a very interesting concept, that people can have a different view, and the authority has a different view. And the two were not going together. So knowing that, that if they said, now, that would bring a riot. If they said, John did not have authority. So they said, we don't know. Jesus said, oh, that's fine. That's what I actually wanted. You don't know, I, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Very sure. And then he turns to the crowd and he tells them about the tenants, the farmers who were tenants. I have no idea about vineyards and I haven't visited a winery here. But I don't know what it takes to set up a winery today. 
but it is costly. It takes some money. But then this person sets up that winery and they rent, rents it out. And then from time to time, he sent servants to collect some fruit. Every time he sends a, a servant, they are beaten up. Beaten or killed. That went on and on and on until he sent a son and that son got killed. And Jesus concludes, finally those tenants will be killed. So they were listening. They learned. They learned their corruption. They learned about the painful lesson not only of their limited authority, but of the judgment that was coming. And they were furious about it. Sometimes we can say we are Christians, but really deeply inside, it's something else. Sometimes we still believe that our authority comes from our wealth. It comes from our, our, our position. It comes from our education. It comes from our knowledge or profession. It comes from our experience. It comes from the talents. It even comes from the way I look, my beauty. It comes from my being youthful. For some, it comes from my gray hair. For some, it comes from gender. I'm a male, so. Or feminism also, these days. I'm female, so I'm powerful. For some, it's the family background. For some, it's birthright. For some, it's even sexuality. Look at the gay lobby and how it's ramping things into society. I don't say this to offend, but I think we are being thrown things too much to take in without thinking about the consequences that come with it. So we think these things are our own. No, they are not. These things are God's gifts to us. And until we realize that, we are going to use them for self-gain or to harm other people. The other question was now Caesar and God. To who should we give taxes? This was again a trap. It was well organized. You know, the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, and the Herodians, these guys were the supporters of the Roman colonizers. But when in their hatred for Jesus, they managed to create a partnership. So they come with this question. They made this flattery to Jesus. We know you're this kind of thing. You're the teacher who teaches the truth, whatever. Tell us. Tell us. Should we, is it right to give taxes to Caesar? Then Jesus said, give me a coin here. 
Whose inscription is this on it? Caesar's. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Done. Finished. Because they were not there to take anything. But it's not a question of either giving taxes to, teacher, to, to Caesar or what. God has created human beings that we are having authority, but also we have to live under authority. And so civil authority is there for us to obey, particularly when they are doing their rightful duties. It's only when they are out of step that they must be told the reality before reality checks in on them. And when reality checks in on civil authority, I don't think the nation will be in a very good, nice, convenient position. It will be ugly. And I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart because I have come from a broken country. It makes me nervous when I'm living here and I say, why should these people desire mess and the chaos? But then they are pushing for it too hard. These days I'm a bit worried if civil authority is stepping too much into people's God-given rights and freedoms and consciousness. I'm running a bit short of time. But the next question comes from the Sadducees. This group of people asked Jesus because they also didn't want to believe that people resurrected from the dead. And they have seen Jesus doing resuscitation of people who are dead and talking about his own death. And so they come to him and they say, tell us, there is this woman who was married and married and married, married by seven brothers. She dies, the brothers die, then she dies. On resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? But we had it last week that there we don't get married. Praise the Lord. We don't get married in heaven. But the question is, it's more about questioning Jesus' authority and his power to resurrect the dead at the end. And you know what? If we... This is a key doctrine, Christian doctrine, that if we don't believe it, that's the end of it. Christianity has got nothing to offer to the world without this doctrine of the resurrection. But the other thing that this question brings is the balance, imbalance between the genders. You know, the woman being used as a property, shared around. Today in Australia, one woman is killed every week. A partner kills or an ex-partner kills a woman every week. This is happening in our very eyes. Abuse of authority. Maleness. And the final question comes from one of the teachers of the law. You see, we may demonize the Sahindra, but Within them, when individually, they think differently. And we see this a lot in our society, that people, when they are in a group, they tend to behave differently. 
But when they are individually and they're confronted by issues and thinking seriously, it's a different story. This man comes to ask the teacher, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus quickly realizes from the answer that this is a genuine question. This is a genuine question that requires a genuine answer. And so he goes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Authority. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? The problem to this abuse of authority is to give our hearts to God fully. We cannot solve the problem of authority without knowing that it is God's love to us. And we are given to it by God so that we use it for his glory and for the service of our neighbor. Until we get that, forget about it. Number two is to know that all the gifts that we have is from God. They are not our own. They are, the source is from God, and they must be used for his glory. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And as I come to the conclusion, it is this that I want to say to you, that we need to look at all what we have, our profession, our thinking, our creativity, our wealth, our family, anything that we have, and know that God has given these things to us to use them for, our for his glory. He has also given us time, time that is limited. In the light of eternity, the time you have here on earth, very small. It's within that small time that what you do with these things is going to be checked on at the final day. So what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, let us use our gifts in the best way we can within the short time that is possible. What you want to do, do it quickly. Because we don't have the time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For all those things that I have mentioned, if you are affected, please, the time for prayer, come to receive a prayer. I don't want you to go from here with heavy load with the things that I have said. And if there are things that you want to ask me about, please do so at the end of the service. You can either text it, write an email, whatever. I think all the information is available. And may the Lord bless you.